Welcome to Mac Talks, a podcast created by instructional designers at McLennan Community College, where we talk about instructional methods and best practices. Uh, my name is Katherine Beach, and today I'm going to be talking with Amy and Tonika. And also, we have our, our beloved John is here with us helping doing some behind-the-scenes producing, if you want to say hi, John. Yes, I'm, I'm here, and I'm glad I didn't have to pronounce your last name. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably not be happy with me after that. <laughs> Never offended if anybody mispronounces my name. Right. It's, always, it's always good to try, right? It is. And um, it, it makes me less self-conscious when I see hard-to-pronounce names on mm. my roll. Yeah. I can then see. I can say, people mispronounce my name all the time, but why don't you tell me first? Yeah. <laughs> Amy, we want to get to know you a little bit, so I thought it'd be fun if we start off this podcast with two truths and a lie. So I asked you to prepare um, three facts about yourself, two of which are true, one of which is a lie. You're going to share them with us, and we're going to try to guess which one is the lie. All right. Should I just go for it? Go for it. All right. I was a math major in college. Mm. Oh, and I forgot to mention... Amy teaches philosophy here at MCC, so this this does add to the interest of whether she's a math major or not. Okay, what's your next fact? I had a dog named Funky who sang to the Parliament Funkadelics. Interesting. Okay. Uh, she might be too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> really? Bring in the funk. I want the funk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you go look that up later. All right. <laughs> um. I recently spent an entire month in the Philippines. Mm, I think that last one is true because Amy came into our open house recently and I think she was talking about that. So I think that one's true. Um, I also, I can believe the math one, but the, the one about her dog, I feel like that might be a stretch. So I'm calling that the second one was a lie. What Was I correct? You were. Yes. But I did have a dog named Funky. You did have a dog named Funky. And he did sing. I mean, he would just howl along when we (laughs) practiced our piano lessons. I'm a little sad that the second one was the truth. I was really hoping for that second one. Right? Amazing. (laughs) Okay, so. Your turn? Oh, oh, I I can go. I normally, I have one in my back pocket just in case these things come up. But it's just a really simple one of, um, I've ridden an elephant. I've ridden a dolphin. And I've ridden a camel. Oh, boy. This is a good one. This mm-hmm. is a good one. I know you've traveled a lot and that you have um, extensive experience. I'm ruling out I, a camel's true, right, because you've been in the Middle East, and I, I'm pretty sure. But she's giving me a look. Like I'm not saying don't anything. Don't be surprised. Dolphin. I mean, can you ride it? I mean, I guess you wouldn't ride it like a camel or an elephant, but, um, oh, gosh. Um... I think that you probably have more access to an elephant, like at uh, um, at the circus, or maybe you were in India, maybe you were in the subcontinent. I'm going with the dolphin because it's also the water-bound mammal, right? That's yeah, hard to I get think, to. I think they don't make saddles for dolphins. I don't right? think I've never seen one. I have ridden a dolphin. Oh. What you do is you get in the water with them and you hold onto their fin and then they swim and you're okay. just holding on. And I've ridden an elephant at a Renaissance fair. I was Whoa. this close to riding a camel 
but they closed the uh, the opportunity right before I got to the front of the line. So wow. I was not able to. So that, that's, that's so sad. I was yes. sure that one was true. I know. Yeah, you'd think. And you used, used contacts as never. teaching philosophy at MCC. She's been teaching here for 10 years. How did you come to do that? Especially as we just found out that you majored in math. Yeah, well, I, I've had many career deviations. Um, I ended up after college getting um, going to a master's program in psychology. And I worked with a nonprofit in inner city Pittsburgh for a few years. And yet I um, I went to a small college, so they didn't have a robust philosophy department. Um, so math and psychology were, you know, this is pretty nice middle ground. I ended up um, moving from Pennsylvania to Texas because I, I wanted to study Kierkegaard. Hmm. Um, uh, here, and uh, the foremost Kierkegaard scholar in the world is right here in Waco. Wow. Um, Did not know that. Yeah, yeah. So... I um, left my career, went to grad school, and uh, fortunately, um, as I was getting toward the end, I got to adjunct here at MCC, and what a great place, right? I mean, it really is. Yeah. Um, so after adjuncting here for a while, it just was pure coincidence that the long. Um, long-standing philosophy professor here um, retired Dan Walker and um, two positions opened up because of him and so me and another person I did my PhD with uh, Dr. John Spano were lucky enough to move on over here that's so cool and I just learned that you and I have something more in common I also was working in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania and moved down here for grad school well how about that yeah Ah. Learn something new. Okay, well, I, I like philosophy, but I assume that you interact with a lot of students that may not have the fondness for philosophy that you and I share. So what are some things that you do to engage them and get them excited about philosophy? Okay, well, I think that there is a stigma around philosophy, that it's all um, people who are uptight and overthink things, which I'm not sure is really. Um, you can obsessively think, right? But can you really overthink? I'm overthinking that, that <laughs> statement. Um, so they they might have this idea that why do they have to take this class? Most of them are in there because their advisors put them there. And I really, truly believe that every human being is deep within them somewhere, whether it's in their soul, in their mind, whatever that thing is, has a desire to know. People are curious, they wonder about the world, and I think they're innately philosophical. Somewhere along the line, somebody told them that their questions about what they wanted to know were annoying, mm -hmm. that they should probably go do something else right now, like play outside because mommy doesn't know why the sky is blue and she has to make dinner mm -hmm. or whatever. But I, I, I just have this innate sense that humans are curious and it takes a lot of manipulation of people in power over them to lose that sense of wonder and that sense of curiosity. 
or to reclaim it for themselves. So I try to bring a little bit of the playfulness of childhood, you might say, back to the pursuit of wonder and thinking about what matters and being curious. And um, <laughs> I guess this is where I should say that, especially in my online classes, I, 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 I have... Um, I have finger puppets <laughs> that I use to help engage my students and get them to recognize that you don't have to be uptight or stuffy to ask a good philosophical question. You don't have to take yourself too seriously to engage in the things that matter most about being human. I love that. I heard that you um, you kind of confronted right up front the, the biases that a lot of your students have coming in and you want to just get them off the table right away. I love that. And also that you um, you reminded students that this is a, a deep human activity. Um, it's become a college class, but it wasn't always something that was limited to academics. It's, it's founded in a, a deeper thing that humans partake in. And I think that's something that every professor can can relate to that their subject isn't limited to the classroom that there's something deeply human about it and that they're exploring the world just through one lens um, so I love that but yeah your puppets so I've seen your videos you um, you it's so jarring to see <laughs> to open up your online class and think I'm gonna be reading so much this semester because <laughs> I'm taking philosophy and the first thing you see is a video um, of puppets and their their funny sounds and, and voices and they're asking the questions that these that these people would have asked the, because each of your puppets are a character so tell me about your characters okay well um so i get these little finger puppets from this company called the unemployed philosophers guild and um, that is so nerdy it is so nerdy <laughs> right and um, I just got them because I like them. But I realized that um, they're really interesting. So this is a little background. Um, my partner and I, uh, when we had dinner parties, and this is like pre-COVID. <laughs> I don't think we've had one since then. But um, usually they'd be people who care about ideas, care about knowledge, care about philosophy sometimes. And um, so we have a bunch of magnets on our refrigerator right by where we'd be serving dinner. And then we would do a little icebreaker where everybody has to go pick out a finger puppet from the fridge and talk as if they were that person for a while, right? So, um, I mean, I brought some here to show and tell. We have Immanuel Kant. We have, of course, Plato, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, and Virginia Woolf, just as a few. Plus, you can get some mythical ones in there, too. So, you know, if anybody wants to be Ganesh, for example, they could, you know, get the little five-armed elephant puppet, which wow. is really fun. So it, it, it was really fun as a little experiment, and we do, like, for five, ten minutes at a time, and, and, and after a while get too silly to continue. But it really made me realize that when you inhabit the even ridiculously small form of the puppet, it makes you think about what they would say to a contemporary audience in mm -hmm. a different way. And I think that 
you know, the philosopher, some of them might not. I mean, Kant, for example, he might still write 20, 30 line sentences without any punctuation in them. It just, you know, it's just a very German thing to do. Um, but it makes me think that they would communicate their message to a different audience in a different way, right? And and I think that that's one of the things that is important about education is that there's no point in time when math is not going to be relevant. Hmm. No matter how many calculators we carry around, right, we're still going to need to do some basic math. And I think that's true for our study of language, our study of science, our study of the humanities, especially, and philosophy. Um, so I guess it just, you know, um, I'm getting off topic maybe a little bit and maybe drawing this out a little bit. I think that the idea that these puppets have a personality that can translate. So Plato is the first and maybe the most important Western philosopher that we have. So starting with him is a nice place to start. And then he's his name's easy to pronounce, not like mine. <laughs> sure. and, and you can kind of, by having them as puppets, it does put a face to a name, especially for someone like Plato we don't have photographs of, obviously, but to say this was a real person and they had real thoughts and they can, they express those in these writings, but they might even express them now. I love that you said that they, um, that it helps students kind of think about how uh, this philosopher might approach a topic today and how their philosophy isn't just something that they said back then but it's something that applies continually that's an awesome educational practice of helping students kind of see how it connects to their lives that Plato's not stuck in the past but um, his thoughts and ideas can have an impact on today I love that um, is there what have your students said about this have they have there been positive reactions mostly um, I, I think that they there's something disarming about being silly. Mm -hmm. There's something inviting about, you know, okay, this person didn't um, take themselves so seriously that the only way they communicated with us was through very proper grammar in a very staccato voice. Mm -hmm. um, and they have said that they appreciate that. I'll tell you though, in addition to the puppets, my cat, Pertunia, is the star of the videos. And I get more comments about Pertunia than I do about the puppets, which is really... Why do you think that is? Um, cat videos are very popular. <laughs> Probably more than anything, Pertunia is a Zen master, and he is a handsome guy. <laughs> he just... And he's also... Um, he likes to make fun of me a little bit. Mm. He doesn't like how I sing which I really shouldn't do on any video. <laughs> um, but I, but he's also, uh, he makes fun of me a little bit, but he also sort of wraps things up, and I don't know. I think there's, even if it's not your own pet, somebody else's pet is comforting. Yeah, and it might help people relate and say, oh, this person has a cat, like, they're human too. I also have pets, yeah. you know, and yeah. kind of relate. It does make... Anything that you can do in your videos that makes you more human um, is good because obviously you're doing the things that make you a professor just by being in that role, assigning things, grading them. And so your videos are an opportunity for you to say, 
And also, let's talk real. Like, let's talk realistically about this. Let's be honest and let's bring our whole lives into this conversation. Hmm. Well, thank you. I hadn't realized that um, Petunia is my whole life. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have but, to meet this cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a wonderful cat. Yeah. Have you um, gotten any feedback from students on your classes that you've, uh, you've implemented some of the things that they've said? I, I really want to emphasize that I respect my students, and I think that they have a valuable perspective in, in helping me think through what their experience as a student looks like. And I don't have access to that. And I really appreciate that. And it does happen that they have told me that um, there have been things that have um, maybe perhaps not so much been too challenging as been insurmountable. <laughs> so I think that there have been some times where I've reconsidered how much workload I've um, put upon them. Because I'm, I mean, in as much as I think that there's value to objective style tests, in my discipline, I, I find that the thinking process, the writing process, are the places where I see them progressing the most. Mm -hmm. Feeling free to ask the next best question, feeling free to explore that ethical concern they have. And I really want to give them the freedom to do that um, but I sometimes think that they need a really um, big foundation. So they should have read all these hundreds of little mm -hmm. articles before they can dip their toe in the water. But that really does contradict the idea that I started with that everybody's a philosopher. So them telling me that I had put too much work on them, I, I did look at it and go, well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I've cut back a lot. And, and in fact, it's funny. The more I cut back, the more I see that I didn't need to do that in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I'm not losing any metacognition on their part. I'm not, they're not getting further behind in any way. In fact, I think they're doing better because they're thinking more deeply and more critically over a longer period of time rather than trying to fit what they're thinking into what these other people thought. I love that. I definitely think that, um, you know, getting getting just enough information, like you were saying, to them but not overloading them gives them more freedom to bring themselves into the conversation and to find their place in it. That's wonderful. Um, have you, what are some principles that you think through when you're creating a course? We've also talked a little bit about how the transition from in person to online was difficult for you. What are some things that you really wanted to focus on as you made that transition? One of the most important aspects, I think, of a face-to-face -face class is the in-person discussion. And I just value that so much. There's one thing to feel like, I have a pretty good idea what Nietzsche is talking about and the eternal recurrence of the same. And there's another thing that is, what do you think Nietzsche means by this term? And trying to get somebody to say it, right? And learning from your colleagues, um, who I call philosophers, my mm -hmm. fellow philosophers. Um, that is crucial. And Plato started that, not maybe not started, 
I, I doubt that. <laughs> I mean, Made it famous. The, uh, yeah, because he wrote in the style that we now call dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Is Plato's dialogues, not Plato's monologues, not Plato's treatises, not Plato's polemics, tra- Plato's dialogues. And even if Socrates dominates the conversation sometimes in those dialogues, there is still room for somebody to come in and say, that didn't make any sense. Or, I don't think that definition works. Let's try this out. So I think that that part was really hard to think about how to make meaningful online. And I still struggle with it. I wouldn't say that my online discussions are at the same level as my face-to-face discussions. I would not make that claim. I wish they were. Um, But interestingly enough, the videos have helped that process. So over the last few semesters or however long we've been doing this, um, I've, I've been trying to focus on that by figuring out how to get them to prepare and deliberate before they get to the discussion. Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know when you read a discussion that was written in five minutes without mm-hmm. having been thought about very much, right? What? <laughs> My teacher can tell when I put minimal effort in? No. <laughs> Sometimes we can. Sometimes. I bet there's a few who pull it, pull it off. Right, who I don't, who fly under the radar. Right, they're good enough that they can but do. Overall, but overall, you we, can tell. Yes, yeah. It's always yeah. the thoughts do get better as they develop over time. Yeah. So you're saying that you give them the opportunity to think through ideas a little bit before asking them to then put it in the discussion. Right. So the first thing, my courses are sort of set up in a pattern. Each week there's a reading. They read it, and then they go to the video. The first thing that they come to on the video now, and it was a little different, I just changed it up, um, is a free write. I don't care what they write about. I don't care um, if they got it right, if they got the concepts correct. For five minutes, they're going to write without stopping about what they just read. Mm. And so whether they got it right or not, they have to have processed something. Mm. And then... I do the background and the meaningful information that they need to take away from the reading and have little pauses in there where they have to stop and write something down. What do you think about what you just heard about? Do you agree? Do you disagree? Why? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then from there, I take the questions they, where they paused and I sort of shape them into a more general question that they have a couple options on in the discussion. And it seems to be helping. Yeah. They've, they've formulated some thoughts about it, mm-hmm. and they're not getting credit for having watched the video if they don't answer those questions. So they might as well work to their own advantage and do it all in a little system rather than... Yeah, which is a lot less overwhelming than just read this, write a paper and turn it in, mm-hmm. and oh, by the way, I'm grading you on it. What I heard a lot in that system is... You're giving them the freedom to fail and to be wrong, which is is hard to find in any college class, especially in an online class. Um, A lot of what 
students do in an online class is they intake information and then they output information and everything that they're outputting is graded. But John and I have talked a lot about how important it is to give students the freedom to, to be wrong, for the, to say, you're just graded on doing this and it's okay if the ideas are wrong. They just have to be on topic. But like, you can be wrong with this. That gives them a lot more freedom to comfortably like wrestle with those ideas. And mm-hmm. I think that they get a lot more out of it. So yeah. that's there's, there's something about uh, human nature, I think, that you want to go and see what happens when you put the wrong answer in. You know, when you're like, <laughs> I want to know what I would have <laughs> happened if I answered that that way. Right. So I think it, it I think it allows them to say, oh, OK, that's why I don't do that. Right. So, you know, it just I, I think their curiosity is part of that. Right. So, mm-hmm. yes, we are. I know it. You are good philosophers, too. <laughs> well, this is so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming and joining us. We really had a, such a pleasure to have you. This was fantastic. And I've so appreciated all getting to know y'all and welcome. You've welcomed us, all of us faculty, into your space to help us. And um, it's been wonderful to be with you. So thank you both. Our first guest. Yay! Yay. Yes. (laughs) So to those who are listening, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Be sure to subscribe and rate our podcast so it's easier to find. And then also give give us a follow on Instagram, MCC underscore IDI. And um, send us your questions. Nominate someone you would like to hear us interview. Um, Send us a topic you'd want to hear us talk about. Any of those, uh, all of the above, send to our email online at mclennan.edu. 